Male and female represent the two sides of the great radical dualism, but, in fact, they are perpetually passing into one another. Fluid hardens to solid, solid rushes to fluid. There is no wholly masculine man, no purely feminine woman. To Lady Fiction's episode number five. Today we take on a foundational text of American feminism, Margaret Fuller's Woman in the 19th Century from 1845, from which you just heard the opening lines. This text has been on my wish list from the very beginning of this podcast, and here to tackle it with me, Stephanie Schaefer, is my guest, Andrew Wildermuth. Andrew is from Annapolis, Maryland, in the United States. This spring, he received an MA in North American Studies from the University of Erlangen-Nuremberg, and this fall, he will begin a PhD in American Studies at the University of Jena as a member of the research group Romanticism as a Model, Model, Romantic. His research focuses include poetry, new materialisms, and the politics of Romanticism. He's also a poet himself and has poems published in the uh, Columbia Journal, Eco Theo Review and Colt Brown Review, and he has two critical articles forthcoming on Claude McKay's Harlem Shadows and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So thank you for being here today, Andrew. So um, Andrew, can you maybe contextualize um, Margaret Fuller for us a little bit for um, the listeners who are not in American studies and are not so familiar with her? Who was she and uh, what is her eminence? Yeah, thanks so much for having me again, Steffi. Um, it's it's a real pleasure to discuss this very challenging uh, text. First of all, I'll start by saying I'm by no means an expert on, on Fuller's biography. So if there are experts on Fuller out here listening, forgive me in advance. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 she, she was born in 1810 um, in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, and uh, she was the daughter of uh, a... Pretty pretty well off lawyer, uh, not super rich, not you know pretty like like upper middle class intellectual family, and uh, yeah, he was later a U.S. representative. They were a, a strong Republican family, not uh, the Republican Party that we think of today, but but as in like actual mm. re Republican <laughs> uh, governmental um, th yeah uh, ideas, uh, and yeah, so so she was born um, to this very educated father and 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 he he raised her with with like particularly aggressive education uh and, and very strict uh, which she if people are, are interested in reading some more about it um in, in a fragment called autobiographical romance she 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 um uh she goes more into depth on on the effect of, of her of her schooling on her um and so, which, which she actually blamed for for lifelong migraines of being from too mm. young of an age um, stimulated um, by by uh, ab, yeah by, by by philosophy by by ancient studies by language studies and, and all this. So, she had this kind of unique place. And then, in the uh, instead of going to Harvard because she was not allowed because she was a woman, she was a, a teacher and and she led very important 
uh, groups that that she called uh, her her circles, um, and and so they they met. They had these women's groups that would meet in 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 Boston, and they would discuss uh, philosophy and and literature and and religion. And um, sometimes guys came, sometimes not. Uh, and and yeah, so th- this was a very important part of of, of her life and, and of her story. And, and then she becomes a, a journalist in New York City and uh, did that for a number of years. She was one of the editors for the Tribune. Mm-hmm. And um, then she went to Europe and was a, a war correspondent during the Roman Revolution um, after touring through through continental Europe and, and the and, and the United Kingdom. And um, she there had a very she she changed a lot as 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 a person and 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 her politics changed a lot. She she was married to to a soldier in the Roman Revolutionary Army, um, out of wedlock, had a baby, which was her total no no throughout a lot of her her own writing mm. uh, previous to that. And and then um, on her ship ride uh, on her ship ride home from from Italy to to the United States, her first time home in several years with her 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 now husband uh Osoli and 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 their couple year old child she died in a shipwreck a couple hundred meters from from the shore of Coney Island mm-hmm. um and uh it was like a pretty pretty much a huge tragedy for for people in the area then uh the Thoreau comes down and searches the 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 beach for her manuscript on on the history of the Roman Revolution and uh unfortunately it was not found but some of her things were found and um Mm. yeah so that's kind of her story and uh, i mean in american studies she's often she's routinely called one of the transcendentalists or the only woman transcendentalist but it's kind of a joke also that you know you can't talk about fuller without talking about the transcendentalists so we'll try to (laughs) to navigate that and read her in her own right and not just as a representative of the um what many have called problematically so the first uh independent generation of american literati after independence i think also there's there's uh her work is being re-edited or maybe forthcoming um new editions of her complete that's right yeah 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 so that that's pretty uh, strangely it's like kind of hard to get your hands on on like an excellent collection of, of Margaret Fuller's complete works uh so there are a couple of projects uh right now um that that I, I think in the next few years we we should have um really excellent definitive collections of of Fuller's work in in contemporary context and uh yeah so that that's pretty exciting so I think it's an interesting time to be reading Fuller to be thinking about Fuller to be teaching Fuller and I think that yeah as as we'll talk about in this podcast I think there are some really interesting uh moments in which she's kind of anticipating some of her own thinking and also challenging it and 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 I think that we find a lot of some troubling definitely some some troubling aspects of her text which I hope we get to be able to discuss and challenge in the podcast. And um let's start a little bit uh by talking about what what kind of text is woman in the in the 19th century and why you selected the opening quote. Uh, and as you said, what kind of text is this? And I think that's that's really maybe one of the most central questions and, and thing about this book is it very much escapes, I think, uh, easy description and easy analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that's a, a fundamental part of, of its politics, too, and, and, and what it's doing for uh, the women's movement or, or uh, for 
generally in, in, in the context of, of 19th century U.S. politics. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a great place to start. So, so what about the opening quote? It's fluid. Gender, gender, gender categories are fluid. That's, that was one of the surprising elements in this text for me. Definitely. I think, I think for a contemporary reader, I think sometimes we have a, sometimes a, a cultural or, or era-based arrogance um, in thinking that we have created everything, <laughs> that we are, uh, you know, like that things are totally unique from our own political vantage point. Um, because we talk about fluidity of, of gender mm. a lot. I think we think of that as being very cutting edge. Um, it's very interesting that, that she uses that, that metaphor here. Of, mm -hmm. of fluidity and and the passing of states and she, I think she she separates here masculinity from from man and femininity from from women mm -hmm. and and at least that, that they're not essentially bound um, and and that that there is this 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 necessarily yeah this necessary passing into one another as she puts um to me that that is one of the most striking things of, of the text. And I think it, it, it in some ways is very similar and, and also departs a lot from the ways that we read gender today. So I, I think that yeah. part of the text challenge is is yeah. distilled a lot in the, in this in this excerpt here that that, that yeah. I've read. Yeah. So it's it's to me it was intriguing. I, I I've been looking forward to read this text for a long time. And I didn't read it as a student, nor did I read it in my academic work since I was a student. But in American studies, it seems that this text is often overlooked. And as a teacher of American studies, I would I would maybe also confess that I might shy away from teaching it because it is so complex. But it's important to observe that this is a foundational text in American feminism. It's published in 1845, three years before uh, the Seneca Falls Convention, which sees the publication of the text that people usually talk about when they talk about uh, the beginnings of American feminism, namely the Declaration of Sentiments. And uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, one of the authors of the Declaration of Sentiments, quotes woman in the 19th century as, as, a, as a model or as an inspiration for her. So the beginning of the women's movement in the United States is intricately tied to this text by Margaret Fuller, woman in the 19th century, which comes as a kind of a, an edit on an article that she wrote earlier and where she talks about it. This was a originally a, a journal article and she says people got back to me and I have to kind of spell out what I'm trying to say once more because apparently I didn't say it very well in the first place. And then she spells it out in 100 pages um, <laughs> and calls it woman in the 19th century. And it's 100 pages of appeal of quoting other texts that she uh, goes back to, of talking about the state of literature, of philosophy, all in one interest, namely to say, we need to start working towards greater gender equality. And that's why I think the quote that you picked for the opening is so intriguing, because that's what not what you would expect from this kind of text. I mean, Katie Stanton and the women's rights movements, they, they would basically what they do in the Declaration of Sentiments is they, they basically parrot the Declaration of Independence of the United States and just touch it up a tad here and there and say that other than the British tyrant from which the American colonists are breaking away and declaring themselves independent with the Declaration of Independence in 1776, the new tyrant 
in the Declaration of Sentiments is man. So it's not a British king. Now it's man who is a tyrant to woman in marriage. And the Declaration of Sentiments uses this kind of manifesto-like declaration style to say this tyranny has to end just like America became independent from Britain. Now woman has to become independent from man. And Margaret Fuller has a similar agenda, but she does it so differently when it comes to form. So she starts off by saying, I need to rephrase my argument. I need to retrace my steps. And you know, you listeners, you're going to hear us leafing through the text a lot because that's what you have to do when you, when you deal with this text. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but she, she states her agenda throughout in various quotes. And I'm, if, if it's okay with you, Andrew, I'm just going to go to, to some of the quotes and uh, do, read yeah. them out to you because it is a declarative text that comes back to declarations over and over again. So this, the agenda setting, what women want, what is important. It is not the transient breath of poetic incense that women want. Each can receive that from a lover. It is not lifelong sway. It is not money. It is that for which at once includes these and precludes them. It is for that which is the birthright of every being capable to receive it. The freedom, the religious, the intelligent freedom of the universe to use its means, to learn its secrets, as far as nature has enabled them with God alone for their guide and their judge. So women <laughs> want freedom. There's the freedom word. Then this is a little before where she talks about the signs of the times. We would have every arbitrary barrier thrown down. We would have every path laid open to woman as freely as to man. Were this done and a slight temporary fermentation allowed to subside, we should see crystallizations more pure and of more various beauty. We believe the divine energy would pervade nature to a degree unknown in the history of former ages, and that no discordant collision, but a ravishing harmony of the spheres would ensue. So it's basically saying, okay, we want freedom, but we don't want to kill all the men or, you know, abolish men on earth, which is what often, you know, those who fearful of feminism say that women want. This is a call for saying, let's make this even better. She says over and over that women have been overlooked, that their potential hasn't been used, that it is time for women to realize their freedom. And then the project of mankind can get better. And this is the third part where she maps her agenda and she looks into the future and tells us what is important to her. So whether much or little has been done or will be done, whether women will add to the talent of narration, the power of systematizing, whether they will carve marble as well as draw and paint is not important, but that it should be acknowledged that they have intellect which needs developing that they should not be considered complete if beings of affection and habit alone, that's important. So Fuller really tells us we have a lot of work to do because we have overlooked and under, we have allowed women to, 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 you know, become this childish partner in marriage and this unequal um, part in the union of man and wife that she talks about so much. And, um, 
she says that's what we need to do and she she does this from a vantage point that is particularly american also it's not only about the humanist project in general it's also about being an american and and having this responsibility because you're part of that visionary project that is the united states in the 1840s andrew what do you think how american is this text so uh... I think that for me, a, a fundamental part of, of of her of her philosophical and 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 maybe religious and and political projects here is is definitely rooted to, to the to the continent of, of the United States and and this mm. kind of this mythologized idea and 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 racialized idea of the conquest westward um, across the American continent, and I think that from our perspective. Today, I think there are, are there is some pretty clear criticism of that, mm. uh, but I think that her text here also kind of fights against itself on, on that, and, and I think that that it's it's, but but she does I think absolutely take take part in the idea of of exceptionalism and mm. and 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 the idea that the United States is this melting pot place where where European philosophy idealism and civilization as as she says kind of really get gets put to test and 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 become some practicable thing in this kind of like cosmic evolution uh, even mm. and and so i think that in, in that way it's interesting yeah I, I think she she has this like this grand trajectory of of the universe that necessarily goes through the the, the United States, and and I'm kind yeah. of reminded too of of <laughs> I mean I think there's a long tradition of this. I'm mean, thinking also of of Martin Luther King's quote of as uh, is not the exact wording, but something along the lines of the the moral the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Hmm. Mm. And, and so I think that there is this this universal cosmic aspect. That, that she brings very closely into to material contemporary politics mm. of the United States. And that to me is really fascinating how, how she does that here and also problematic in, in a lot of ways. And, and I think I think as contemporary readers of this, there's a lot to, to deal with both in, in that it is this early sort of revolutionary radical feminist text, but also um, is totally inseparable and, and, and totally a part of the, this this kind of settler colonialist American project and, and, and American exceptionalism. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, on the one hand, there's a cosmic arc that you talk about. So it's 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 time for seeing this beyond territories or developments. And then on the other hand, it's very much rooted in uh, a rhetoric of nationalism that she goes back to again and again. And she does this also cleverly <laughs> by, uh, on the one hand, saying, there have always been in history, and this is capital H history, of course, um, that readers will be familiar with as canonized history. So she says there have been women leaders, Elizabeth of England, the, the first Queen Elizabeth, um, Isabella of Spain. So she says there have been women that have been trailblazers and that have shown us that women, women don't have to be relegated to the sidelines, that they can take responsibility, have power and this and this. She talks about the classics, about Sappho and um, Eurydice and other figures from uh, classical myth. But then again, uh, she goes to say, this is a an age of nations. And uh, she says, in the nation state, names 
like victory is female, um, religion is female. And there's a point when she says Isabella of Spain was the one who sent off and financed Columbus, who then discovered America, which we know today is one of the grand myths of, of, of or, or origin stories of the United States, which has been contested and is, is, is very critical, as you said before. Um, but the Columbus narrative she uses to, to relegate to Isabella, who is the architect of the Columbus mission, and she says it's time for us Americans to repay Isabella's jewels. So she really says the so-called discovery of America is due to the entrepreneurial or, or um, uh, explorative, you know, efforts of Isabella of Spain, who was uh, a woman leader in her own right. And we have to repay her. It's our task today to vindicate the fact that women have been have been on the sidelines for for so long. And towards the end of the text, and here you see you hear me leafing through it again. She says it's time for the super hero woman uh, to appear. So, uh, and will she not soon appear? The woman who shall vindicate their birthright for all women, who shall teach them what to claim and how to use what they obtain. Shall not her name be for her era Victoria, and this is the Victorian age, for her country and life Virginia? Yet, and then she says, predictions are rash. She herself must, must teach us to give her the fitting name. So, she really says, okay, we're at the threshold moment in, in the 1840s in the US. She says, it is time. I see signs over and over again. And those signs are uh, the media that she quotes in the opening. So that's how she, she frames her argument. She says, ah, oh, you know, things are happening. It's really weird. We don't have a name to put on this thing, but there are tendencies that are developing. Um, so a woman must advance to allow mankind to advance. There's newspaper coverage that she quotes. She also quotes abolitionism. This is what I want to talk about as well, coupled with women's rights um, and women abolitionists. And this is this is the key starting point for uh, the Declaration of Sentiments because uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and other women abolitionists uh, went to London to the World Abolition uh, Conference in the, in, in the 1840s and they were relegated to the galleries because women were not supposed to have any political opinion. And that's when they came back, gathered at Seneca Falls and, and wrote the Declaration of Sentiments. So the abolitionist movement and the institution of slavery um, in the United States are also a backdrop from which she she draws her argument. Uh, and she says, if we can't make this, she couples it and melts it together and says, we, if we can't get this right, then the hope that is tied to, to the American, to the U.S. experiment is lost. So it's it's very much an argument that draws from the logic of nation states in the 19th century and says we need to get this right and we need to help women or women uh, realize their potential and if we can't get this right then you know no nation shall ever stand after us yeah and, and th that's one that's one really interesting thing i think about her her project here or project is that it's not just about women her woman herself or about women plural but about a natural flow of social realms and of of cosmic mm -hmm. realms and even like uh, among the stars I mean, she, she, and, and i really think that it's not just metaphorical for her you know and, and i think that's where this text is profoundly transcendentalist mm -hmm. is that that it really is a, like 
that these political ethical questions are real material parts of of cosmos and of, of natural systems. And and so I think what's interesting is that she's not saying it's just for women or for for, for women, yeah, for like yeah, woman in, in the kind of platonic singular sense, um, but that it is for the the kind of like harmony of of all mm-hmm. things. Um, that 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 woman's woman's development, woman's balancing is is like going to balance the energies of of the United States, of the American continent, and and of of the world and and cosmos at large. It's kind of how how I kind of I kind of read this. So here, for instance, she says also. Uh, to- pretty much toward the end of the text, uh, says, by being more a soul, she will not be less woman, for nature is perfected mm-hmm. through spirit. So it's there's this sense of, of shedding off, and this is so tra- American transcendentalist, of shedding off like the corruption of, of civilization. Mm-hmm. And I think this is this kind of American myth of like the European civilized stuff is shed off. And here on this like great naked continent, can the, the universal soul really reveal itself herself himself um and and kind of yeah mm-hmm. shine yeah so 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 that that i i think is 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 very interesting in 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 context of material context of settler yeah. colonialism and and the, the u.s yeah. project is is that it's it's really um they are these very fundamentally connected mm-hmm. movements um i think these these soul and and, and cosmic and and national movements so, so i i find that that totally perplexing in, in this text and, and really utterly challenging. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as, as you said earlier, that, that you and maybe other um, Americanists shy away from it in some ways. I think this is one of the one of the mm-hmm. reasons, I think, is that also her, her association with, with Swedenborg, uh, mm-hmm. Swedenborg uh, uh, where I mean, someone, it's like, I think in order to really read Fuller, I think, I think, I mean, it's, it's a very mystical text. Yeah. And so I think you need so many toolkits. Yeah. You need like mythology, you need mysticism, you need romanticism, you need uh, feminism and gender studies and, and all these things. It, it's, it's, it seems like almost an impossible text <laughs> to, to read. Maybe that's a, that's a good, that's a good <laughs> way for me to, to include a nice quote from, uh, from Poe, which I found where he talks about, it, this is a contemporary review. He said, Woman in the 19th century is a, is a book which few women in the, ni- in the country could have written and no woman in the country would have published with the exception of Miss Fuller. So this is a nice <laughs> way of saying, okay, not only is she a genius in and of herself, he's, she's also a literary woman. She knows how to, she has the independence and the means to just do it and get this text out there. And then... Yeah. I think what you're talking about when you're talking about the, the perplexities of the text and the complexities of, of the reading experience, that you need so many archives and so many cross-references to, to decode it properly, is, of course, that she can do it in this way. And she does. She's yes, totally exactly. the author. She is totally, you know, she does not have to pay any dues to anyone. She goes to the sources that she finds intriguing. And these include Swedenborg, a lot, a whole lot of German romantic thought, a whole lot of Goethe yeah. and Schiller. Uh, yeah. She taught herself, you've told me this, she taught herself German in, in only three months as a teenager. So she's clearly <laughs> an impressive figure um, uh, yeah. who is, is modeling also herself after the universal genius that was Goethe. I mean, she's really, and that's the gesture, the key gesture of the text. It's, it's not, this is not literary criticism or myth criticism 
or um, you know, talk about the electricity of women, which we have to talk about in a little bit. Um, uh, Mm, absolutely. um, it's it's not the one thing she jumps back and forth all the time. I mean, once you're reading about um, um, about Iphigenia of Taurus, and then in the next session you read about um, the German ballads, and then you read about Isabella of Spain. Mm -hmm. So she Mm -hmm. can. Because and she's switching between genres, like she's yes. going from 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 prose to then these like little. Um, she has these like dramatic yeah. excerpts, you know, where it's like where it's like the the slave the, the enslaver. Uh, like talking with the feminist and then it's like man generally this like platonic form man talking to platonic form mm. woman and then it's like a poem of, of 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 fuller's and then and then philosophical abstraction and then like a translated poem from from <laughs> yep. Schiller or or it's like it's really in, in that it's totally unannounced yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and that's why that's why I think it's it's difficult to teach it but I I will teach it at some point I'm determined to do it I'll, I'll have maybe an army of of Germanists and philosophers to help me with with that but maybe yeah. collaborative teaching do you think that could be read as queer also in in this like kind of like uh, in this avant queer uh, avant la lettre meaning yeah well yeah i mean one yeah. okay so one one thing the queerness she she does and she's very i think deliberate about picking her sources and, and asserting her authorship and going off the beaten track mm-hmm. so she does that that's also i think though a strategy for the transcendentalists i mean it's not they're also trying to do something new with new forms so uh you could read mm-hmm. her as one part of the group or maybe as a, as a as a badass part of that group the other reading would be to say she's uh v- vying for the uh universalgelehrte for uh the weltgeist in the mm-hmm. sense of goethe in the german romantics and and this is a, also the threshold moment which i find so key so in doing that she's also saying okay we know these different things and we when we read them all together and put them onto the question of uh, woman in the 19th century and maybe woman in the US, then it really becomes clear what a future trajectory would be. So that might mm-hmm. be a model that she draws on. But then again, I think it's 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 interesting to read her as a, a queer author figure because, and that's one of the things that I came across, she also uses the Miranda figure from um, Shakespeare's The Tempest. She says, I spoke mm-hmm. with Miranda, constructing Miranda as a figure whom she talked to, but she herself is also a Miranda figure, trained by a father who um, let her read and do everything uh, that she wanted to find out, but tried to also kind of shield her from the world. So Miranda, in, in the logic of the Tempest, is this figure who is unverbildet in the terms of she's not subjected to the concepts of the world from the outside she's on the island and the Miranda figure as an author figure might also be a way to describe the strategy that that she uses to to build her text in in, in querying the given lines uh, in turning maybe also to the body that's maybe we could talk about the body as well that's the thing that so you talked about the cosmic before and um, the spiritual but the body components are very much there also in the opening that you quoted for us in that de-essentializing logic of, of there are no two separate spheres, there are no two separate genders or sexes. 
and yeah. they intermingle and intermix. That's one perspective she has. Yeah, so, so there's kind of like the flesh and also like the the spirit that imbibes the flesh. Mm. And and I think that in that way, I, I, I've wondered if this could be read in this text as, as, as what we think of as sex and gender mm. also. Like if that's almost her kind of spiritual mystic go at like, yeah, of there being woman, women, women, mm. uh, rather, yeah, women being like physical sex and then gender maybe being what she would call woman and 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 man Mm. right or or femininity Mm. and masculinity and so she sees it as these like as these spheres that are in every person diversely Mm. manifest Mm. and so so i think that in that way she does say that that there are like you know people with different bodies and then there are some, you know, uh, where she says at one point, she says, I think that that like one third, you know, if we lived in this ideal world, she says like one third of of, of basically like gendered male people or, or, or like, yeah, people of, of like male sex and one third of people of female sex would would pursue uh, careers and lifestyles that are like of the 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 of the other gender. Yeah. Yeah, that's why she also talks about girls wanting to play outside and and um, um, yeah, and yeah. and the epic line of uh, let them be sea exactly. captains, yeah. if you will. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She doesn't. She's certainly against prescription, and she's certainly against what Simone de Beauvoir a little later ta- uh, talked about when she talked about nurture. So, so there's there's an interesting thought. There's this. That's the one thing. So she says the gender lines are not as prescribed and as rigid as uh, you would think. But then again, she has this whole part about women's essence, women's electricity, mm-hmm. women's genius mm-hmm. that I also, that, you know, intersects with this in interesting ways and maybe also does it a little bit. So she says, uh, women's genius is electrical in movement, intuitive in, fi- in function and spiritual in tendency. Um, and um, the critics, I, I started looking into this a little more uh, deeply because she comes back to this notion of, of women being electric, uh, women being more prone to mental uh-huh. illness. And this actually is a connection to uh, 19th century mesmerism. And I read an intriguing article by Rachel Blumenthal, uh, which is called Fuller's Medical Transcendentalism, which basically argues that women of the 19th century advances a materialist technology of feminine self-making. Uh, so she basically what the critics have said about Fuller with this electricity question is that it's sexual essentialism that women are so different from men that you know they can never the two can never be compared or meet but Blumenthal says this is not about sexual essentialism uh, and not about uh, the transcendence of sexual difference for for unification but women have are more prone to intellect so it's a definition of a female genius that stands aside and maybe above the male in this sense. So this electricity, this mm. nervousness is maybe what also led to discourses of hysteria and of uh, patern- uh, paternalistic pathologizing of women in the 19th century with Mary Todd Lincoln, for instance. Uh, this for for Fuller in her day uh, connected to mesmerism and 
the idea of a soul being magnetic, something being there that is not physical, that can't be touched. I mean, that's the beginning of psycho, uh, psychoanalysis, really, in the 19th century. This is a trend in her day, and she uses this um, to declare women's genius as something apart because women are more electric than than <laughs> men. And she says that men have basically done very poorly by women and not developed this electricity part. And that's what needs mm -hmm. to be done. And that's when she the quote uh, I used in the opening about when when this is when this is achieved, she says nature will be more crystallized the world will be better mm -hmm. so it's not just human society or you know there will be more equality uh, among humans it's about the universe and this brings us back and that way, to this. It, it reminds me yeah it, it reminds me a lot of, of like hippie discourse <laughs> you know of like like of so like, she's not only a queer of, of she's like, also like, a, a hippie uh, before her time that's right, right. like yeah I, I think of like of like contemporary like new age hippie kind of stuff. I mean, she literally says crystallization. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it was like I, I, like there's this like this like this sense, and, and this is tied also, I think, with myth that is, there's this proximity of like of like woman to the earth mm. and to to natural forces and to the stars, and that like life and i think this is basically mystical is that there's this like it seems like the most ideal politics and ethical politics is one that is like a fine tuning of like universal currents mm -hmm. and 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 that as i've said already i think it's very transcendentalist but but particularly the way that she does it i think is this like yeah it's like I, I feel like I can almost smell the sage burning mm. as, as she's writing something <laughs> like that. Yeah. I, I, I think, Which brings us back yeah. to the logic uh, do, of, do, of the do, form. Do you know what I mean? Of, yes, and it, it brings us back to the logic of form and aesthetic experience of the text. Um, because when you read mm -hmm. it, I mean, <laughs> you can smell the sage. I'm like, I can smell the dust of book pages uh, that she has around her um, yeah. of all the, the canonized and not canonized or all the different works that she draws so geniusly on and or ingenuously on. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a breath and a rhythm to this, despite the fact that you get thrown into a different genre or a different kind of text every now and then. It never it never stops surprising. Um, so it's not a read mm. where you can say, oh, I'll read another chapter or I'll read another page. So uh, no. <laughs> you sit down and you either put it down right away or you 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 keep reading and you're like, oh, this is, oh, this is, oh, okay. So now we're in the midst of, uh, uh, yeah. um, I don't know, the French Revolution. And then we go somewhere else. Yeah. It's really also a tour de force that takes you on. Yes. <laughs> um, and that's yeah. where I think. It's, it's a, kind of like a maze. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, she's she's clearly the genius leading you through. Uh, she has these episodes where she where she comes back to say, "Okay, this is what I want. This is what I'm what I'm fighting for. This is what I want to say." For me, this was such a, a threshold text. You know, it's viewed from the year 2021 when we've seen waves of feminism. If you want to read feminism of in waves, or if you if you want to read commentaries on feminism as a white invention, that you know sidelined others uh, for a long time or intersectional criticism of, of white feminism. We have such an intriguing vantage point to go back to this particular text because it navigates 
many of the questions that we have, I have today as a, a, mm -hmm. a female identified person in this world. So um, on the one hand, she navigates difference. So she says women are electric and uh, we have to make sure that they can realize their electric potential. But then uh, she also says mm -hmm. um, women have been uh, treated as children. So we have the childhood mm -hmm. discourse uh, in marriage. So she has a lot of stuff to say about marriage, when it's good, when it's not good, uh, how men are comfortable in marriage because they want to render women childish um, partners in marriage. So she, she comments on that social component. She has something to say about class, which is an update from the original article she wrote and published first. So yeah. in this Woman of the 19th Century, the longer version, she also talks about high-class ladies, American ladies, being preoccupied only with their looks. And she says, come on, women, forget about, stop counting your conquests, stop being so vain. And she says that in... Uh, uh, lower class women, um, she finds more realism or she, she connects more easily to them. This is, it shines through every now and then. It's not in your face, but it's there. So she addresses this. And then she says in the history of, of literature and philosophy and all the texts that she reads, there's a reflection on the idea of woman that comes back over and over again. So she says it's it's something that mm. people have been thinking about a lot. And this is this essentializing component where she says women are different. So she does say women mm -hmm. are different. And she says basically yeah, it, it, women it's... are better also sometimes. Sorry for for that. But does she do would you agree that she says women women are the better men? <laughs> uh, or the better humans. Yeah. So she she says like here on the, on the same page where you, where you last quoted from. So yeah, that we have the I believe to be uh, this the special genius of women I believe to be electrical movement, intuitive function, spiritual and tendency. So that's like one, two, mm -hmm. and three. Electrical, intuitive, spiritual. Mm -hmm. And then she says uh, in the next paragraph here, more native is to her to be the living model of the artist than to set apart from herself any one form in, of objective, in objective reality. Mm -hmm. More native to inspire and receive the poem than to create it. So I think there's this kind of, I mean, you could almost think of that also as like the males, this more phallic creature hmm. right like like this thing to to move forward whereas the woman is this more i mean it's it's also it, i mean this is this is like pretty across culture and time it seems like there are different ways of this manifesting like in in yin and yang in in in, in chinese philosophy and, and 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 mysticism there's a similar pretty much actually that uh is 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 like that, that yin and, and yang are associated with with male and female, and and one is is receptive, and 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 the other is is active force, male obviously being the latter. And so, I think I think that that the tricky thing about this text is that she seems like as much as she as she pushes as much as she she uses these this, this essentialism, it's like she also then undoes mm. it, you know. It's like it's not like she's like oh women are just like this and men are like mm -hmm. this so the world is going is you know this it's not biological determinism, I think, in 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 that sense I, I find it more, but yeah I don't what, what do you think <laughs> I was thinking as you were talking I was thinking so she has a lot to say about uh, that essential difference um, but she also has so much to say about 
that ideology of separate spheres in the 19th century that she is so pissed about. So about domesticity. Right. Related to, to the quote with which we started of the perpetually passing into one another. So I think it's it's like we might almost think of these as, as a, and I need to think more about this in, in this text, but I think we could think about these as platonic forms mm. in, in, in a way. Mm. She's, I mean, she's a huge Platonist, and, and that, that comes through very clearly I mean, through direct reference and also this form of idealism that she has of there being these like pure essences is, is very platonic, I think. So she has manliness and womanliness or, or, or yeah, like these kind of like abstract forms. And those are these like pure things, uh, these pure essences. And, and then, and then they in different bodies, like a different flesh, different bodies, like absorb these different forms in, 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 in always unique ways. And so like, basically I think it's almost like what she says is like, maybe men, probably men are more likely to do this. Women are prop like people who have this genitalia and that genitalia are like probably more likely to do these things, but society should like, we need to get to the point where there is no social system that enforces um, somebody with this genitalia to do this mm. and this genitalia to do mm. this. And if we if we completely get rid of this, then there's going to be like a natural harmonious flow mm. of like womenly men, some some manly women, some womenly women, some manly mm. men, and all of these things in between. Mm. That, that's. Do you think that's a fair reading? Yes. I, I think it I think, makes a lot of yeah. sense. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I do want to get back to the the, the comments that she has on marriage, because that again, you know, kind of riffs against what you just talked about. So all that you said, I think, is there. Yeah, she has no imagination of, of same-sex marriage, no, for instance. And, and that, I mean, politically, she could absolutely never yes, say and that. It's, it's, a, it's heteronormative, and it has to be monogamous. And then she has this, this catalog mm. of things where she says, of grades of equality that she observes in marriages, and she gives us uh, case studies of those surrounding her and maybe she she pivots on on mm -hmm. wollstonecraft's marriage mary wollstonecraft's marriage so she says that the the first grade is household partnership so men want their wives to do this and wives want their men to do this then uh she says the second grade is mutual idolatry uh the third is intellectual companionship and that's it's clear that there's a a rising component here, uh, a, perf a more perfection mm -hmm. of the of of her visions of marriage, and the fourth is religious unions, as in pilgrimage towards the same shrine, and that's interesting because intellectual companionship is a pre stage to that, and then that religious again we have the body again we have the spiritual uh, pilgrimage towards the same shrine that's the highest grade of of equality that uh you can achieve in marriage and um, that's what she wants for women and so my <laughs> I, I i like the grades you know i could deal with that but i she does she does not seem able to see women beyond being married so singlehood Right, right, yeah. right. Very interesting is that she was single until almost the time she died. I mean, she was like, yeah. she was single until she was yeah. like 37, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's, that's the bizarre thing that I think, like, there's one thing, which is what she writes and what she publishes. And there's another thing of like, also, we need to also see, I'm not an expert by any means on, on 19th century gender politics. Um, but I do think it's necessary to think that like, 
she has an audience, mm-hmm. right? And she has a, 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 and so I'm not saying like that she doesn't mean what she's saying. And I, and also like, we can only really talk about the text that's here and then to talk about the biography of Fuller's maybe another thing, but I don't know. I think we need to take all of that with a little bit of a grain of salt. Yeah, but I can't believe um, you're pulling the author of, argument out of the hat here. I mean, on the one hand, it's, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's great. I, I, I thought the same thing, but then again, she is a badass writer in the 19th century. She asserts her place. Yeah. Is it fair to say she was never married or she was single all of her life, but then she writes about marriage all the time. I mean, it's just like, Ah. She she also loved women though. I mean, there. So, is it okay if I read a yes. quick excerpt from, yes. from a journal yes. of hers? Yeah. So again, confusing stuff here. We're not going to get much more clarity. Uh, it's from 1842. So she she falls in love with a woman named Anna Barker, and I mean she had like huge. I don't know what to call them. I and obviously this is the the subject of great debate. She says here. I have so often thought over the intimacy between her and, and Madame de Stael. It is so true that a woman may be in love with a woman and a man with a man. It is so pleasant to be sure of it, because undoubtedly it is the same love that we shall feel when we are angels, when we ascend to the only place fit for the mignons, where sie fragen nicht nach Mann und Weib. Mm. It is regulated by this. So here it gets more complex. And again, this is like her thing. Like She really seems disturbed by physical sexuality whether manly or uh, between whether hetero or homosexual but anyway it is regulated by the same law as that of love between persons of different sexes only it is purely intellectual and spiritual unprofaned by any mixture of lower instincts undisturbed by any need of consulting temporal interests its law is the desire of the spirit to realize a whole which makes it seek in another being for what it finds not in itself but then later, she says, then again that night when she leaned on me and her eyes were such a deep blue, violet blue, so like night as they never were before. And we both felt such a strange mystic thrill and knew what we had never known before. I mean, that sounds like she's got a crush. Oh, and maybe more than that. <laughs> and, and, um, it sounds like the action is just yeah. happening. So um, that seems to be... Might I dare say divorced from woman in the 19th century, uh, that seems to be a different setting. So woman in the 19th century, then if we, so she doesn't include any of these references as best as I remember in woman in the 19th century. So it seems that Mm -hmm. the text is written for an audience and is, is directed not to scandalize people uh, by burdening them with having to acknowledge, you know, homosexual love uh, or going beyond the heterosexual norm. Yeah. And that's also maybe an explanation why she has to say so much about and so much to say about marriage, uh, because obviously that's yeah. the institution that people are going to tr- talk to. And she addresses the criticisms of uh, the women's liberation movement saying, oh, if women don't take care of the children, then that will be the end of civilization. So if we give them the right to vote, then, you know, that means that we're over, we're done with. She does address these criticisms, and um, but she also says that the institutional marriage as it exists in her surroundings, in her day and age, is based on the fact that women have been infantilized by men, that they are not allowed to realize their potential. And she says, union is only possible to those who are units. Mm-hmm. 
And that's a super intriguing quote, because if you're not, of course, if you're not a unit, then you can't form a union with somebody else. So first you have to become your own woman and then you can form a union. And this 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 would make the text more of a of a, of a manifesto of a, of a social commentary than a philosophical tract. There's something that um, maybe we can we can start wrapping this up a little bit. So mm -hmm. in the end, then, if this is a social commentary and she speaks to people and she speaks to women, uh, we might want to discuss who she speaks to. Uh, so she says in the end, so after this is also a nice logic of the text where she, she has a long text and then she says, OK, now I've said all these things. I give you a little summary. So towards the, the end, the final pages are really a summary of retracing of her own steps. Right. Which I was personally, I was very grateful for that. Yeah, <laughs> but, absolutely. Uh, because it, it allows you to kind of check your reading experience, saying, "Okay, did I read all this? Did I did I do I remember this argument, or is this just something yeah. that I did not catch?" So um, she says, "I don't speak to men. You need to teach. You need to teach and warn one another." That's what she says. I speak to American women, and I speak to young girls who uh, are subject to the teachings of the woods. So she, she again, goes back to this concept of the young girl is unschooled, unspoiled by too much education. And she says, the time is now and what we have to do. And this is a key point for me in how she articulates the feminist project. So she doesn't say like, for instance, Katie Stanton in the Declaration of Sentiments, that we have to overthrow this rule of the tyrant because that's what the Declaration of Sentiments does. You say we have been um, misused by a tyrant. The tyrant is man and we have to do away with it. They use the revolutionary gesture of the founding of the United States, that, you know, highly mythologized gesture. Fuller doesn't do that. She says the time is now, but we have to use men to get the job done. Men have to be the head and we have to be his hands. Hmm. So this is, you know, nothing of the later feminist manifestos, uh, you know, like Valerie Solana's scum manifestos, you know, tear off, cut off all the dicks, get do away with the men. She says, we have to be smart. Uh, so we have to make men believe that they're doing, they're the head of the architect of the feminist project, while we're the hands. And that's what I really like about this, this ending, uh, because she says, we do have power. And this is a the ending where she talks about the um, almost happening annexation of Texas in 1845. So a few months after this is published, Texas is annexed by the United States and um, the, well, the, the Eastern and Northeastern intellectuals, the transcendentalists saw this very critically because it meant that the slavery territory was uh, aggrandized um, in the United States. So Texas became a safe state and they said that's, that's that's why we're against the annexation of texas but this has not happened as she publishes this as she publishes this she says we have a, a responsibility to deal with this annexation of texas and kind of try to prevent it and she asked the women have you nothing to do with this you have a part in this as well and she says your power is moral power mm. And that's where we get back to the logic of how can we achieve this feminist project? Well, men can think that they're the heads, but we have to be the hands. Mm -hmm. That's the 
the end. Cherish your best hopes as a faith and abide by them in action. That's how she ends. And then we have another nice poem of hers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Fear not thou to wind the horn. Persist to ask and it will come the palace of king and queen. The palace home of king and queen. So she imagines the perfect celestial home of men and woman together as the goal of this this feminist project in the end yeah i think i think an un an unfettered harmonious flow of 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 gender mm -hmm. yeah that kind of passed without like the corruption of of what she sees as yeah yeah of, of social corruption yeah yeah but then it gets back to to what your your question is: of, of is that is that, yeah? I mean, it is. It does seem essentialist then to say, yeah, that there is this like underlying masculinity and femininity that just needs to, to be revealed. But also, it's always dynamic and and always changing. I I, I think over time, mm. right? I, I think because mm. she always says now is is a new age. It's a new era. She she repeats that throughout, and and that it, yeah that that it is. It seems like it's the time now for these gender energies to 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 go to another level, and and that's this kind mm -hmm. of this kind of almost kind of religious revolutionary aspect of it that it's heading that things it's teleological, you know, it's heading in 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 a, in an in in in, in, in a, toward an upward level and, and kind of Hegelian in in, in a way of like mm -hmm. this this sense of these two opposing things turning into some new uh, better thing you know this this kind of dialectical yeah. um evolutionary theory yeah and above that again is her author persona she says her vantage point uh, in the opening she says uh i have this feeling of i i i, I read the signs in the newspapers i read new views uh, and i think something's happening if only um i could see the situation not uh, from a street level but from the top of a house mm. as a vantage point <laughs> so she wishes for more oversight or, or bird's eye perspective and in the end she says i stand in the sunny noon of life objects no longer glitter in the dews of morning neither are yet softened by the shadows of evening this reminded me of dante's inferno when he goes and mm -hmm. says i'm in, in, in the midst of my in the middle of my life hmm. and I might be misquoting this but he he goes into uh this new situation in the midst of my his life um mm -hmm. enough is left even by experience to point distinctly to the glories of that destiny faint but not to be mistaken streaks of the future day and a little before she says I must beat my own pulse true in the heart of the world mm -hmm. and that that echoes also uh, that, that kind of kind of anticipates the rose be to the rhythm of, of one's own drum or to a, to a different drum. Mm, yeah. Uh, of this, like, and that's this like singular, and that, that to me is, is, but so important to see, I think with this text is, is that it is, is so the way that it, it does transcendentalism. So particularly in, in this, this, this feminist womanly mode where, where like, yeah, I mean, you have like the, the, the individual being this kind of, a conduit for this greater world spirit, universal spirit. Um, mm. Yeah. And, and, and of Emerson's, I, I, I am a transparent eyeball. I, I am nothing. I see all. 
Yeah. And, and yes. so, so, so wonderful here at the end. Um, and so strange at the end in, in the same paragraph that, that you just quoted where she says, um, yeah, in the, I stand in the sunny noon of life, which is just a wonderful sentence. But then at the end of that paragraph, yet enough is left, even by experience, to point distinctly the glories of that destiny. Faint, but not to be mistaken, streaks of the future day. I can say with the bard, though many have suffered shipwreck, still beat noble hearts. And mm -hmm. I think part of the, the curious author figure of, of Margaret Fuller and her kind of precarious situation in in American literature and, and, and in American and, and global feminism and, and political history is, is her just kind of very, as we talk about with the text too, I mean, it's very hard to, to approach um, and very complex and multi-layered. And I think also with, with her, this very curious story of, of at, at exactly 40 years old, mm. um, dying, um, I think, what is it, 200 meters off the coast of, of Coney Island, uh, New York City. In a yeah, in, in a shipwreck. And so we have this, we have this, I mean, it's just like, there's this, I think also her, just her way of writing the way that this text is, it, 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 it feels like it's this cosmic event, right? And, and so I feel, and, and it's so much about fate too. Um, and about letting fate, letting these energies work their their own way out. So I think it's, there's this kind of eerie aspect to 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 some of her work. I think, yeah. and I don't know, maybe that maybe I'm not being a good critic, a good partial critic, and, and saying that. But I think the text is doing this too. So that when we hear in in 2021, though may though many have suffered shipwrecks, still beat noble hearts. There's this. It's just it's haunting in in, in yeah. some ways, right? Yeah. Um, it's also mystical, and it goes beyond beyond what we um, maybe understand as, as manifesto feminism or as, as mm -hmm. other forms of feminist texts. Um, so feminism as a movement is one thing, but the feminist texts that we read in, in, in seminars or uh, in other settings um, are so different from this kind of text. Mm -hmm. So I'm very glad that we um, had a chance to explore some of the vistas and avenues um, that this text is taking. I mean, obviously, you can take so many other turns. You can talk about Whitman. You can talk about the mesmerism. You can talk about uh, so many other. The, we haven't touched. We, I wanted to talk about German romanticism and um, uh, that kind of um, philosophy behind it. But time is running out. And I think it's a good way to close with this understanding of a woman in the noon of her life mm -hmm. writing this text being the only woman obviously able also to publish it in the u.s and um the mesmerizing and i use this word intent attentively um mesmerizing experience it gives us uh, as readers in the 21st century so mm -hmm. thank you andrew for being my guest with this uh i hope our listeners will turn to the text uh Never to put it down. And um, this is, brings us to the end to, of uh, episode five of Lady Fiction. Thank you for being my guest. And uh, thank you also to you out there for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you, Steffi. Yep. And, and, and thanks for everyone for listening. I hope you all in, in, in enjoy this strange text and live with it in, in your own way.
And just so you know, once again, the views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the guests or the host, not the America Centrum, which does not take any institutional positions on politics or policy. Thanks again for listening. And he's going to cut that out. Hopefully it's not going to be a blooper or anything. Okay, so... <laughs>